This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Pendleton University, established 1813. Now offering a new class on American folklore, instructed by famed professor William Wexler. Pendleton University, Optimus Amicus Fecit. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's Creepy Pasta Week on Pod Cemetery with 1992's Candyman and 1998's Urban Legend. We're fudging the numbers ever so slightly. 1998 should really be the last year of the classics, considering how it's 20 years ago, which makes it officially an antique. Older than 20 years. She's over 20 years. Oh, so we'll get get by on the technicality, the Christine technicality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes her officially an antique. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. That's right. What do you got for me? In 1976's Carrie, the blood of what animal is poured on the titular character on prom night? Pig's blood. That would be correct. All right. Do you want... A pretty easy one, or a slightly more difficult one, but I still think you can get it. Difficult. In The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, 1970, protagonist Sam Dalmas is a struggling writer from what country? U.S. of A. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, see, I knew you could get that. The easy question was, just for bonus points... When the dance is canceled in the present day in My Bloody Valentine, 1981, where do the teenagers decide to hold their own party? In the mines. Yeah. Man, you're killing it today, Kelsey. Absolutely killing it. I always do. (laughs) And modest, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I mentioned it is Creepy Pasta Week. For those of you that don't know what that's all about, it's an internet thing. It's basically urban legends, but for the internet age (laughs) is what Creepypasta is about. Uh, It started out with just being just an urban legend in general, was called Copypasta, because people would just copy it and paste it somewhere else in a different forum somewhere, and they called the concept Copypasta, but it's stories you'd see everywhere online. This is where Slenderman came from. That's from creepy pasta, which is the kind of horror subgenre of the copy pasta phenomenon. But effectively it is just urban legends for the internet age. So if you ever hear somebody say creepy pasta, that's what that's about. This week it's 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 effectively urban legend week with uh Candyman and the movie Urban Freaking legend. That's correct. Of course. So we're going to start it out with 1992's Candyman, written and directed by Bernard Rose, based on The Forbidden by Clive Barker, starring Virginia Madsen, Xander Berkeley, and Tony Todd. Kelsey, what is Candyman about? Candyman is about a woman 
in college. Maybe. Yeah, it's not really <laughs> clear. I'm pretty sure she's a woman in college, and her and her colleague are writing a thesis about urban legends, and one that is very prominent where she lives in the city she lives in. I think it's Chicago. It's Chicago, yeah. Uh, is the legend of Candyman. And they dive into it thinking it's not real, and they discover that it is. Should people watch the movie? Yes. I'm going to just say yes. Yeah, I think so too. I like it. I think of the movie's... That spawned franchises from the 80s and 90s, these slasher-themed, semi-mystical horror movies. This is better than you might expect it to be, I think. Uh, Very good. I think Tony Todd does a fantastic job. He is one of, he might be the only black slasher villain who spawned a franchise. Can you think of one? If you can think of one at home, go ahead and write us podcemetery at gmail.com or send us a message at podcemetery on Twitter because I'd like to know. I think he might be one of the only ones and he does a fantastic job in this one and a lot is really asked of him, which we'll get into a little later. So yeah, we recommend that you see it, but (laughs) I seem to remember like it wasn't anywhere. Like if you don't have this movie or can't get it via like actual disc or tape, like, you're screwed unless you want to break the law, which is a little bit of a bummer. Why is. isn't this movie available everywhere? Yeah, I don't know. Because this is a pretty famous movie, I'd say. Right. You'd maybe want to, like, oh, like even if I had to buy it to get it. There are some movies that do that. This one is just nowhere. You just can't find it. You can find it sequels. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we'll talk about 1992's Candyman. Have you ever heard of Candyman? Look in the mirror and say it once. Candyman. For fun. You don't believe all that nonsense anyway, do you? Say it again. Candyman. For a scare. A woman died in there. Leave it. Say it five times. No, I never got past four. You're dead. Candyman. (laughs) Try it. Dare you. Candyman, Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in Candyman? We start with bees and some narration given to us by Candyman. Talking about... Do you want me to read it? Yeah, because I only wrote down what's blood if not for spilling. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's, What's blood, blood for, if not for shedding? With my hook for a hand, I'll split you from your groin to your gullet. I came for you. That's him telling you what he's going to do. And then uh, we go into an interview that the main girl is having with a younger girl. And she's talking about how she believes that this couple in her hometown, they were messing around and they said his name five times into the mirror, which is interesting because it's usually three. 
Yeah. He shows up and he kills the girl. Now, this bothers me because they make it very clear in the movie, you have to say his name five times. Well, the guy says it four times and the girl only says it once. Yeah. Does that count? And Billy, the bad boy, is Ted Raimi. He's the guy who got a statue dropped on him in Wishmaster. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Raimi's brother. He is downstairs waiting for her to come down and blood seeps through the ceiling and he runs away and apparently he goes crazy and for some reason Candyman kills the baby that the girl was supposed to be babysitting. Why? Yeah. I don't know. There's there's not much consistency when it comes to what what is Candyman's motivation yeah. other than just revenge. But how does he get that revenge? And oh, and love. Love is another motivation, which honestly they don't like stress enough. They the really movie. don't. It's a very weak little plot point that if you if they'd taken it out, it would have made no difference. I think you could have completely missed it watching this movie. Mm-hmm. But anyway, our main girl, who is a chain smoker, by the way, yeah. <laughs> Never has, not doesn't have a cigarette in her mouth. Uh, goes into her husband's class. He is doing a lecture about urban legends. He's talking about the 30-foot-long crocodiles in the sewers, etc. And about how we all heard the story, and we all think they're real, and it was a girl who lived near me, or I heard it happened in Miami. No, I heard it happened in New York. And about like yeah, how, how it was the same story that we've all heard happened thousands of miles away from each other, etc. This is the exact same scenario as the very similar scene at the beginning of Urban Legend. Mm-hmm. When we get there, you will see it's the same thing. <laughs> now, why would Danny and Diane both be suffering from the same delusion in two cities over a thousand miles apart? Let's face it, folks. There are no alligators <laughs> in the sewers. No, it's, it's, it's round the campfire. It's bedtime stories. See, these stories are modern oral folklore. They are the unselfconscious reflection of the fears of urban society. That's lunch. So she comes down to talk to her husband after his lecture, and she's angry because she's like, I thought you were going to wait until next semester to do this discussion. You know, we're writing our thesis on urban legends, so it's kind of shitty that you did this. And he's just like, whatever, it's their education. It's more important than your thesis. Right. Like, should I withhold part of their education because you're writing a thesis? Like, that doesn't make sense. She's also pissed because there's a girl in his class that he is very obviously having some sort of thing with it could just be flirtation at this point but she's not happy about it they fucking cut to her in a classroom which has math on the board right even though she's not a math teacher so i'm thinking here's the deal here's what i'm thinking i'm thinking maybe she is a math teacher and she's getting her master's or doctorate in a different field But that's what she does for a living is teach math. That's the only explanation because she's behind the teacher's desk. (laughs) So she's the teacher. Like, and it's not clear. Is it at the same school where her husband works? Yeah. Like maybe she teaches at a nearby high school. Yeah. It it doesn't matter, though. It never comes up again. (laughs) 
But so she's listening to her interview, and in walks the custodian. She's like, you talking about Candyman? And, uh, <laughs> what? Y'all want to see a dead body? <laughs> <laughs> So they get to talking, and she's like, oh, you should really talk to this other custodian. She has more information. And she tells the story about Ruthie Jean, who was killed in a housing project. Cabrini Green, which is a real housing project in Chicago. She was cut with a hook. And, of course, this gets this is the second time this gets brought up. It's true. I read it about it in the papers. And they had said in the class earlier, you know, you can't trust anything in the in in the newspaper, which is funny because now that's what we say about the internet. Right, right yeah. Uh-huh. You can't trust anybody to tell you anything. You got to be there. And that's why they decide they're going to go investigate. Now they've had enough separate statements. It looks like this is an urban legend. But now they have an actual location and a potential real story. Yeah, so her and her colleague are going to go to the housing project to investigate. And the other woman has a bunch of like she's like a taser and stuff and she's like what are you so worried about she's like you're the one that said to dress conservatively and she's like you know now we just look like cops yeah now they're gonna come after us so the issue is is that they are going to cabrini green which is a real housing project in chicago and it is really like not that great of a place and it's not that safe if you've ever seen the wire you know the housing projects that you see in baltimore there it's it it seems very similar to where basically real people live there but the gangs kind of run it so that's why they're afraid to go there and afraid of looking like cops let's go into some urban legends about whether or not this movie was actually filmed at Cabrini Green and what they had to do in order to film there. Yes, it was actually filmed at Cabrini Green. So says both Tony Todd and the director. They did have to negotiate with the gangs there in order to be able to film safely. There was a security team. I think people with the city had to take them by there in order to view it. Tony Todd didn't actually film anything there, but they did have him there. Um, And he confirmed as well that, that yes, they did, in fact, hire real gang members from Cabrini Green to act as extras in the scenes that take place in Cabrini Green. So that is something that Tony Todd told the bloody disgusting. He said the locals were paid off, you know. Cabrini Green was ruled by five different gangs at the time. It was real bullshit. We went on a tour before shooting, and it had to be at 8 a.m. because they had their own store in the complex with, like, the thickest plexiglass I've ever seen. And we had to get our provisions there by 10 a.m. or your life was suspect. Wait, what? They had to set up the station there, and they had to get there really early, and they needed to get all their provisions there early because you couldn't film, like, late there. Oh. I would assume there were five different factions there controlling territories, which consisted of vertical buildings. You know, it's modern day indentured slavery through the power of crack, which was created by the government. But hell, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> were any of the gangs used as extras? Yup. The dudes out front calling 5-0? Yeah. The interviewer says, you can tell, too. He says, exactly. You can tell. It's authentic. 
So, yeah, I just thought that that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. There are reports that nothing incidental really happened until the last day of shooting where a sniper is the term used, but really that's just somebody from a pie with a gun, not like actually somebody carrying a sniper rifle, uh, <laughs> shot at the van, but nobody was in it. And nothing was really damaged except for a window. But, Lovely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bernard Rose, the director, said to Ain't It Cool News, yes, there was crime there, but people were actually afraid of driving past it. There was such an aura of fear around the place, and I thought that was really something interesting to look into, because it's sort of a kind of fear that's at the heart of modern cities. And obviously, it's racially motivated, but more than that, it's poverty motivated. Which I thought was pretty interesting. It's terrible. Yeah. So the scenes you see filmed at Cabrini Green were actually filmed at Cabrini Green. Interesting. Yeah. They get in, even though the people kind of try to scare them. They get in and they are walking around taking pictures. There's a lot of graffiti and stuff. And one of the big things it says is Sweets to the Sweet. Sweets to the Sweet is from Hamlet. Uh there's apparently the groin to gullet is a reference to Macbeth, where the uh, term they use there is from knave to chaps. So that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, sweets to the sweet is uh, flowers for Ophelia. Yeah. I don't know why they, they would do that, though. Well, the, remember, the movie's about his love for a woman. Yeah, but he didn't do the graffiti. Right, but you're supposed to get this general aura. It's it's establishing a place. All right. And door comes open and there's a dog barking at them. And that is the neighbor who will become an important character. Yeah. They go into the room where Ruthie Jean was killed. And um, there is a hole in the wall. So she's explaining that her house, her condo is built in... The same type of building. And so she tells her, you know, if you move the the medicine cabinet and you hit out the wall, which is very easy to hit out because they're made cheaply, mm-hmm. you can get into the other apartment. And so she's saying, this is how Ruthie Jean was killed. Yeah. And these people have created this mythical creature to make sense of their of the horror of their daily lives. Yes. So then, like an idiot, she crawls through all by herself. Oh, my God. That is. Oh, God. I couldn't know. It's just incredibly stupid. It, it, it's gross. And the friend uh, who, by the way, is played, played by Cassie Lemons. It's the same friend from Silence of the Lambs. She's always somebody's friend. Yes. <laughs> uh, she's like. You don't know what's going. Somebody could be shooting up in there. You catch them by surprise, and who knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and and she doesn't feel comfortable being left on the other side either. Mm-hmm. But there's some really really good visuals here. There's a shot of her crawling through a broken wall. When she comes out the other side, you can see she's crawling out of the mouth of the Candyman, which is just a fantastic shot. It's very very cool. Yeah, she finds a pile of candy with uh, a razor in it. What's the point? that why is it's a, that there it's a reference to another urban legend urban legend yeah but in the context of the film why is it there so i don't know if they ever actually explain why he's called Candyman. do you remember if they ever do that was just his name 
That was his actual name. Anyway, the neighbor comes in there and she's like, what are you doing in there? And they're just like, oh, we're doing a study and we'd love to interview you. And she's like, what are you going to say, that we're all the same? And they're like, no, we actually are interested in what you have to say. And then uh, she sits down and she says, you know, I was here when Ruthie Jean was murdered and they're they're never going to catch him. So we we kind of bypassed an important part of the movie, <laughs> a triggering event in that uh, Helen and Bernadette, Helen's our main character, Bernadette's the friend, um, are in Helen's condo, apartment, whatever, and they actually call Candyman's name into the mirror five times. And nothing happens, as far as they can tell. Later that night, they're at dinner, and it's revealed what their thesis is going to be. And there's another professor who actually already wrote about the Candyman, they think they have something on him, but he has knowledge they don't, which is the story of what actually came of the Candyman, how he became the way that he is. And he says, The legend first appeared in 1890. Candyman was the son of a slave. His father had amassed a considerable fortune from designing a device for the mass production of shoes after the Civil War. Candyman had been sent to all the best schools and had grown up in polite society. He had a prodigious talent as an artist and was much sought after when it came to the documenting of one's wealth and position in society in a portrait. Well, it was in this latter capacity that he was commissioned by a wealthy landowner to capture his daughter's virginal beauty. Well, of course, they fell deeply in love and she became pregnant. <laughs> hmm. Poor Candyman. Her father executed a terrible revenge. He paid a pack, paid of, pack brutal of brutal hooligans to do, to do the, deed. the deed. They chased Candyman through the town to Cabrini Green, where they proceeded to saw off his right hand with a rusty blade. And no one came to his aid. But this was just the beginning of his ordeal. Nearby, there was an apiary. Dozens of hives filled with hungry bees. They smashed the hives and stole the honeycomb and smeared it over his prone, naked body. Candyman was stung to death by the bees. They burnt his body on a giant pyre and then scattered his ashes over Cabrini Green. Which is an intense story. And there's that part in there that is one single reference to something that's not going to come up until way later, which is why he's obsessed with Helen. And what Helen knows that this professor doesn't know is they've done more research into other murders in the area. And there are some 25 other murders that fit this profile. And so she's researching into what what influence this urban legend has on these murders. She's of the mind that the gangs are using Candyman to instill fear, instill fear in the residents in order to keep Hold order. on to control. Yeah, exactly. 
So when she goes back to Cabrini Green by herself and she runs into this young boy. She has to go back because, of course, she ran out of film. Yes, and she wants to take photos and Bernadette refuses to go again. Um, She runs into this boy who thinks he knows the Candyman and he points her in the direction where she's supposed to go. Candyman will get me. Yeah, he doesn't want I, – I can't tell. Candyman will get me. And he goes into the uh, – she goes into the public restroom and there's shit smeared everywhere. It's disgusting. Yeah. And it says sweets to the sweet. And she opens up one of the stalls. There's an arrow pointing down into one of the toilets. She opens the toilet and it is filled with bees. She freaks out. She backs up. And then it comes this dude in a big coat that looks a lot like this man that she saw. Has a hook in his hand, says you're looking for the Candyman, you found him, and then they proceed to beat the shit out of her. And she ends up going to the hospital. No, she ends up going to the police. Mm. And she helps them catch the guy. Uh, So now that guy is in jail, and the kid is just like, you've screwed me. Right. Now everybody's going to come after me. And she's just like, Candyman's not real. That guy's now in jail. You're going to be fine. And I think it's the fact that he, she convinced this kid that he doesn't exist that really pisses off and instigates Candyman to come after her. Yeah. Yeah. So later he she's in a parking garage and Candyman shows up. And there's kind of, it's kind of a weird scene. She's like entranced by him. So there's a story that may be apocryphal that they tried hypnotizing her for these scenes to give her that that trance like look, um, but she was very uncomfortable with it. So they didn't do it after the first time they tried. But that's the idea: is there's it's supposed to seem like he's hypnotic, and that's one of the reasons that he speaks in this poetic form. The other reason is that he's from the 1800s, and so like he he just has this really interesting aura about him and the way he talks and the way he dresses and what he thinks is appropriate. He tells her that because she's discredited him, he has to shed innocent blood in order to perpetuate that belief in him, kind of like Freddy Krueger. Yes. Where he gets power from the fear, but this is less the fear and more the legend. Mm -hmm. The more the legend spreads, the more he can live on. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he knocks her out. She wakes up in a puddle of blood back at Ruthie Jean's neighbor's house. The dog's head is there and the baby is gone. Missing. And there's blood everywhere. And Anne-Marie, who's the name of this woman, is freaking out. Helen managed to pick up a knife that may have been used because she doesn't know what's happening yeah and she's freaked out and she's worried she might have to defend herself but when she comes into the open doorway and Anne marie sees her covered in blood and holding a knife she thinks she did something to her baby and so she attacks helen and in the process helen's trying to defend herself ends up cutting her with a knife the police come in and arrest helen this is the moment where shit is real This isn't a dream, and Helen's life is irrevocably changed. Mm -hmm. Everything for Helen is downhill from here. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to have to, like, 
live with it is kind of what the movie's saying. Like, we're no, this stuff is going to be really devastating to her. Yeah. So, listeners, if you're ever caught in a bad situation and the police take you, all you do is say lawyer. Don't say anything else. Yeah. Just say lawyer because it doesn't matter if you did it or you didn't do it. The cops are going to try to pin it on you because they want things wrapped up as quickly as possible. So you – she goes in there and, like, they're, you know, saying all this shit to her and et cetera. And she eventually asks for a phone call. And who does she call? Her husband. Well, her husband isn't home because he's having a fucking affair. Um, and we don't know that the phone just rings and, and he doesn't answer, but it's like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So she has to wait around for him to and finally come and get her. Just say lawyer. Uh huh. I Let will not speak until you give me that. a lawyer. Uh huh. The lawyers will take care of everything. Yeah. <laughs> So she so. gets out of prison. Yes. She's uh, allowed to go home. Basically, she's bailed out. So she's not free. This is an ongoing concern. But she gets home and Candyman shows up again. Well, before that, she's looking at pictures. And I don't know about you, but I felt like it was I was watching uh, your favorite movie, Blade Runner. Why? Enhance. 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 Because she keeps like zooming in and trying to find. And she keeps, <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. And she sees the outline of him. And that kind of pissed me off because I'm like, isn't that proof that he exists? That somebody exists, maybe. I guess. And then he pops through. I don't know, the mirror? Yeah, I think it's the mirror. Made me jump. Yeah. Made me jump. And I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, he attacks her and he kind of terrorizes her, but doesn't kill her. He cuts her and she's starting to bleed out a little bit. And he says this weird stuff as uh, as Bernadette is showing up to take care of her. Well, he says, allow me to take you or he will die in your place. Talking about the baby. Yes. He says, why do you want to live? Do you want to live? If you would learn just a little from me, you would not beg to live. I am rumor. It is a blessed condition, believe me, to be whispered about at street corners, to live in other people's dreams, but not to have to be. Do you understand? To make lovers cling closer in rapture? Be with me and be immortal. Believe in me. Be my victim. Your disbelief destroyed the faith of my congregation. Without them, I am nothing. So I was obliged to come. And now I must kill you. Your death will be a tale to frighten children. To make lovers cling closer in their rapture. Come with me and be immortal. Like, it's really fucking cool. Yeah. I love Candyman's lines. They are so good. He's a pretty awesome villain. Yeah. Um, But Bernadette manages to make her way in despite 
Helen yelling out not to come in. She thinks something's wrong and she comes bursting in. Next thing Helen knows as she passes out, she wakes up and Bernadette is dead. Mm-hmm. Well, she has to be sedated and now they're like, something's wrong. Uh, we're going to send her to a psychiatric ward. She goes there. For a month. And is freaking out, and they show videotape to her and are like, listen, you were talking to Candyman, who shows up to her while she's there. Here's video footage. There's nobody there. And so she has to wrestle with that fact. And while she's saying, he's real, I can prove it to you, she says his name five times, and then nothing happens for a little bit. And the doctor's like, see, he's not real. And then, Yeah. And he gets impaled. Yeah. Which is really cool. And then right as people are banging on the door to come busting in, he crosses his arms and then flies backwards out the window. And I loved that. I thought, what a way to exit a room. That was so cool. So she jumps out the window. She knocks out a nurse, (laughs) takes her uniform. Hey, nurse, can you? (laughs) She goes home to find that her husband is now living in their house with the girlfriend who has- They're painting the walls. Painted everything pink. Yeah, uh-huh. She's supposed to be a young, like, 20-year-old. So she goes after Candyman, because at this point, it's like, what the fuck else am I going to do? She's got to save this kid. And then she sees these murals of his demise. Yes, and this is where we see a woman in the mural. And this is where you're supposed to put together, oh- she looks exactly like the girl he fell in love with and impregnated. Mm-hmm. That's what this is about. That's why he's obsessed with her. That's why instead of just killing the baby, he took it hostage so he could take her instead. And anytime I see murals that look like this, my mind immediately goes in two directions. <laughs> okay, I'm curious. One is uh, the never ending story. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh-huh. The murals of yeah. him and the nothing and, and the gamork. The Gamork or just Gamork? Well, his name is Gamork, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one is uh, from when I was a kid. I mean, I guess I watched Never Any Story when I was a kid, but very specifically in my um, CCD class, they had... CCD? Yeah. What is that? Uh, something to do with Catholicism? <laughs> I don't remember what it stands Private for. school you're working, it sticks. <laughs> No, this was before I went to school. This was just when my... Oh, Sunday school or whatever? Yeah. I mean, it was like a Wednesday night thing. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I I mean, I grew up Catholic. I went to church every Sunday Uh until I was like 10 years old. But in my CCD class, there were not like big murals, but little murals of Jesus and his walk. Oh, okay. So it's a lovely thing for children. Like, it didn't even... It didn't even occur to me, like, I'm a child, maybe I shouldn't be seeing this stuff. (laughs) But as a kid, that was just totally normal. It was just, here is his walk around the room to his place on the cross. So, (laughs) here's your religious education for the week, folks. (laughs) CCD stands for Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. Oh, there you go. It was an association established in Rome in 1562 for the purpose of giving religious education. So, thus, Roman Catholic education courses are called CCD. There you go. 
I had no idea. I had literally never heard of this. You had never heard of CCD? No. See, it's so strange to me because I grew up around religious people. So it's just strange to me that like other people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I mean, when I had, like my grandparents are very religious and I would go to church with them. Like it was, there was a very open church and it was a church that was like, we don't believe in those kind of lines and definitions, you know? <laughs> so I never knew what kind of Christian I was raised. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so she sees these murals, and that's where she sees that it's her, and that's why he says, it has always been you. It was always you, Helen. It was always you. Which is a great line, again. So, again, she seems like she's in a trance. You came to me, the child. We had a deal. (laughs) And he's like... He picks her up and he's like, oh, the pain will be exquisite and all this shit. And he opens up his coat and there's bees all over him. And bees come out of his mouth. And then he kisses her with bees. Or the dogs with bees in their mouth and when they bark, they shoot bees at you. Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! Oh, no, my eyes. Over the life of the franchise, Tony Todd was stung 23 times. And according to him, he had a good lawyer. He earned a $1,000 bonus every time he was stung by bees. Nice. Yeah. uh So he got $23,000 for getting stung by bees. Nice. (laughs) Good for him. Yes. (laughs) Good for him. So Candyman reneges on his deal and he's going to basically kill the baby anyway. So and he puts him like basically on a pyre of trash. Yeah, there's this big trash pile out in the open courtyard in Cabrini Green and he puts him inside and she grabs one of his hooks to defend herself. And then she goes into the the pyre to get the baby who she can hear crying and the kid who earlier said candy mail. Get me. Yeah. <laughs> he really does say it that way. <laughs> yeah. I can't say nothing. A candy man will get me. He sees that and he's like, candy man. So he gathers together all the people in Cabrini Green to finally put an end to Candyman the same way the people put an end to Candyman in the late 1800s, which is to burn him in a, in a pyre. It burned his body on a giant pyre. And then scattered his ashes over Cabrini Green. And so they come out with all this gasoline. And by the way, a giant mob from the neighborhood in a socially conscious horror movie. Does that remind you of anything? Yes. It's the people under the stairs. Yes. So they come out and they throw gasoline all over the pyre. And the little boy is like the leader of this mob, <laughs> has, a, has a torch and lights that up. And he tosses it on the pyre with her still in it. And so she manages to find find not only the baby in the pyre, but when Candyman grabs her, she manages to stab him through the gut or whatever, where all the bees are with like a pipe or something like that. And all the bees come burning out of this pyre. In a really great sparkle show. (laughs) And she comes crawling out covered in flames trying to protect this baby. The baby gets gets handed over to its mom, Anne-Marie, and they try to put her out. And her hair's on fire and everything. And it all burns off and her flesh burns. 
But she saves the baby. But she saved the baby. And she's dead. She dies. Helen dies. So, Trevor, her husband, is back at home with his new girlfriend, his ex-student, and she's making dinner, and he's in the bathroom, and he's stressing. He's very upset. He, yeah, he, his, he didn't want this to happen to her. Like, okay, set the affair aside. Imagine what this would be like on somebody. They need to bail their wife out of prison because it looks like they might have decapitated a dog and kidnapped potentially killed but definitely hidden a baby and then attacked a random woman in the middle of a ghetto and you're like what so you <laughs> bail her out she then proceeds to kill her best friend and is sent into an asylum for a month where she escapes shows up at your door finds out you've been having an affair but like i said we're going to leave this aside for now and then she goes back to that ghetto and dies in a fire like what that must do to you Yes, he's stressing out and he doesn't know quite how to process this. And despite the fact that he's ostensibly moved on and saw her in the in the hospital as an opportunity to end the relationship, which is awful, he isn't feeling so great. And, you know, he's like pulling his hair and rubbing his face and into the mirror. He says, oh, Helen, Helen, Helen. Helen, and he says her name four times. Yeah. Which is a little weird. Piss me off. He says her name four times. And then she appears behind him, her hair all burnt off and everything like that, just like that, and kills Trevor with Candyman's hook. And, As he deserves. Yeah, blood everywhere, and the girlfriend comes in and sees him, and she screams. And now she looks like she's the murderer, because she's got a knife in her hands. Yes, Cut back to Cabrini Green and Candyman's lair. We see a new mural, and it's Helen on fire. With her hair on fire. Yes. Which is really cool, yeah. I thought. What yes. a way to end. Um, like, God, everything happened to Helen. And then it just turns at the end like that. Lightning round, Kelsey. It doesn't surprise me at all that this is based on a short story by Clive Barker. Not at all. This has <laughs> Hellraiser written all over it, too. Yeah, it does. It doesn't have the effects that uh, Hellraiser had, but all the crazy shit and gore and uh-huh. grimy, gritty nastiness. The poetic talk of the villain who seems omnipotent, but maybe isn't. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something else. Mm-hmm. They use a Doogie Hauser word processor at some point, <laughs> which is to say a blue background with white text, just like in episodes of Doogie Hauser, MD. Oh my God, does our audience know who Doogie Hauser MD is? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, oh my God, I just thought about that. Oh Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so real quick. Doogie Hauser, MD, was about a little boy who got his medical degree, and it's the stories of a young man being a doctor who's played by Neil Patrick Harris, who you would know as Barney from How I Met Your Mother. We skipped a weird little scene, which when I think about it, I'm just like, I guess it's it was used to, again, instill fear within the people, but like... They kill, they, he talks, the little boy talks about why he believes 
in the Candyman so much. Yeah, because uh, a young boy who snitched had his balls cut off by the Candyman in that bathroom. He didn't snitch. He didn't do anything. He's a mentally disabled boy, and from what I remember and what I've written, he didn't do anything wrong. He just went into a bathroom, and the Candyman drug dealer cut him open. Right. And that perpetuated this Candyman myth, which gave the drug dealer power and also gave Candyman power. It just seems random. Yeah. Why is he mentally disabled? Why was that included? I don't know. To make it seem more twisted? I don't know. This movie has an amazing score. I am very much in love with the score of this movie. It was composed by Philip Glass, who was asked to compose the score. And he, it's very like, I guess the term you would use for it is gothic. It has... It's a piano. Or an organ. Oh, is it an organ? And it has a choir. It's pretty. With like gothic vocals. And Glass thought it was like an indie movie. And he was disappointed when he saw the final product that it was just another slasher movie. I don't think it is. Neither do I. But he refused to give out his consent to release the soundtrack to this movie, which might explain why the movie's hard to find because you'd have to get his license again, but they did release it in 2001. I think they released it again on Blu-ray in like 2016 or something like that. So it's out there. Maybe they just don't have the streaming rights to the, to the score would be the best I could guess about why you can't find the streaming anywhere. It has to be a rights issue, right? I would assume. I would assume so, too. First time I saw this movie, I was in high school. Yes. And it was kind of like a... It wasn't really a date because we didn't go anywhere, but it's kind of a double date. Kelly, my, one of my very good friends, Kelly, and her boyfriend at the time, me being her best friend and this other guy being the guy's best friend, we were all sitting around watching this movie. Yeah. And you know how when you're on a date and you're watching a scary movie, you have to pretend like it's even scarier so you have an excuse to cuddle or whatever, cower. Wait a minute, you're pretending? <laughs> oh my God. My whole worldview is shattered. I don't have to pretend when I'm with you, honey. <laughs> anyway, so. Continue. So I'm in high school uh-huh. and we're all just sitting around watching this movie. And that, I think, is the first time I realized the power of convincing yourself of something. Yeah. Because this movie... Even though it totally made me jump this time. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not that scary, but, like, I remember this movie being really scary because I kept telling myself it was, so I had, so we had an excuse to cower with each other or whatever. Yeah. And um, so every time I see this movie, I think about that, and I, it just reminds me of being a high school kid on a date for, you know, one of my first dates. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> It's an abrupt change. I do that all the time. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw it? No. Oh. 
No, it didn't stick with me. Oh. I don't know if it was like maybe at a party where it was playing in the background or something. Must have been. Because I'd, I, I know I, I'd seen it before. And I used to... Here's how I consumed a lot of media in my late teens and early 20s. It was like at my friend's house where, where there were like four TVs set up and a movie would be playing and then somebody would be playing a video game and then somebody would be on the computer and there would just be like a bunch of people hanging out and talking and chatting and then we get pizza and then like, you know, so sometimes you'd consume something and you just weren't paying that much attention to it. So it's I don't so- think I gave it as much justice as it was, as it deserved. We had, we had such different experiences. Like, yeah. When me and my friends sat down to watch a movie. Yeah. We actually, wa- I mean, we would talk a little bit, but we like, were watching the movie when we would sit down to play a video game. We would talk a little bit. We were playing the video game, but there was plenty of time when we were just hanging out and talking, nothing else would be on, though. Yeah. Like, it's very strange to me, the idea of having something on in the background just as background noise. No, we would be playing, like, we'd be playing something on the PS2 or the or the original Xbox, and then on another TV, somebody would be playing WWF No Mercy on the Nintendo 64, and, like, that. yeah, that was just the way... We watched movies all the time, like, all the time i saw tons and tons of movies that way it's how bob who was on our christine episode um that's how he exposed us to a lot of movies is is through that lens so some stuff stuck and others didn't and i think this one just didn't stick because i I didn't give it the respect it deserved i don't think i think it might be a testament to my add but that makes me wonder if perhaps my friends felt the need to actually watch something when we would hang out because I can't, you know me. Yeah. Something's on, I can't focus on a conversation. Yeah. My eyes, like I go straight to the TV. I can't, especially visuals. Music, I'm pretty good at blocking out. Mm-hmm. But like conversation or something moving. I'm the same way. I can't, I can't focus on a but conversation. But there was, there was, was more than just conversation. There were like multiple TVs and like... Yeah, it was just set up. That in would such be a overload that... for me. I don't know what I would do in that situation. No, no, no. Uh, okay, so what do I think it got? I think this movie has seventy six. Rotten Tomatoes. It has seventy yeah. with a cinema score of C plus. The Rotten Tomatoes consensus is. Though it ultimately sacrifices some mystery in the name of gory thrills, Candyman is a nuanced, effectively chilling tale that benefits from an interesting premise and some fine performances. Solidly fresh at 70%. Overrated or underrated? I'm kind of all over the place for this one. I, I'm bouncing back bef- back and forth between, like, 73 and 77 yeah. I keep going back and forth. So I'm just going to go with a solid 75. So maybe it's just underrated. Um, I was going to give it an 80. I was tempted, tempted to give it a 78. And I know I don't like doing this because it's really difficult to compare two movies based on the score you give. Like, so don't do that, people, and don't expect other people to do it. But I, I, I did give Wishmaster 78. I loved Wishmaster. But Wishmaster was more schlocky than this is. This had a lot more substance to it. 
And I felt like that it needed that little bit of extra bump because of that. I think the biggest issue with this movie is I can't quite describe it because it's not that it's slow paced. I have thoughts about this. Okay. First of all, I want to say I liked how poetic it was, regardless of whether that poetry actually meant anything. That, But maybe it was a little too poetic for its own good. Maybe it was a little esoteric. I don't and think that, so. And that turned some people off, I would think. I liked that about it. Yeah, so did I. I really did like that. It made like it that. unique. I, yes, very much so. But after she woke up in the apartment and was found with a meat cleaver over someone, her life was irrevocably changed. Everything else cannot matter past this point. It, but this happens so early on in the movie, it's like the last establishment of the premise is her waking up and there's the dog head and then she is attacked by that woman who thinks she killed her kid. Like, that's the last bit of the establishment of the premise. But normally in a movie like this, something so big would be part of, like, the later rising action right before... Like, you decide something has to be done. I got to break out of this hospital in order to find Candyman and kill him. But, like, no, this happens pretty early on in the movie. Like, just before halfway through the movie. And then everything else just keeps happening after that. And it just keeps happening. So it kind of feels almost like the rising action and the climax are, like, stretched over, like, half the movie. Yeah. And that might make it seem, consequently, like the movie is slow. Yeah. Or a little too long. Mm -hmm. It's really not. But it just stretches the good stuff. Like, it just packs the movie full of the good, exciting stuff and doesn't give you as much on the front end. So before you know it, you're into what you would normally expect to happen two-thirds of the way through the movie, and it's not even halfway yet. So... I think it gives the sense that the back end of the movie is a little bit long. Yeah. But so, that's just because it's exciting. Like, it's exciting throughout. Yeah. And, and it, it, that's why it's it's a weird thing. Because I, I think about this movie and I'm like, okay, everything that happened in it works well. It makes sense. It's logically sequenced. It's, you know, and none of it feels filler. Really? No. It all feels like it ser- serves a purpose to the plot. Yeah. And even, like you said, with the whole, like, love story thing, that's barely in there, and that's probably because they didn't want to overload you. Right. I mean, the core premise is that he needs to kill in order to get people scared of the Candyman, especially now that the gang member was revealed to just be a gang leader and he's in prison now. That really fucks over Candyman's urban legend, which is what gives him power. That's the core premise. This extra stuff about him being in love with someone who looked exactly like her is just the cherry on top. And so, yeah, I think that you put it into really good words. I I mean, it's just parts of it just feel like it just... When I think back on it, it seems like it's a chore to watch it because it's so long. But it's really not. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's a weird feeling. Because mm-hmm. I, I think about it, I'm like, I can't think of much that I didn't like about it. But then I'm like, do I want to watch it again? Do I want to sit down and watch it right now? No. Right. I think I could. It's weird. It's a weird I, thing. I think I could. But no, I know exactly what you mean. Doesn't mean it's not good. Right. But it could explain why it doesn't rate 
higher mm-hmm. and why it was just left to have some schlocky sequels that nobody really cares about. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're any good. I don't know. I'm more excited to see the Wishmaster sequels. Because <laughs> those I are going to be you are. garbage in a most glorious way. <laughs> All right. That was 1992's Candyman. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. What actor played the eccentric millionaire Frederick Lauren in 1959's The House on Haunted Hill? Vincent Price. That is correct. Very nice. Kelsey, Hmm. what are the seven deadly sins used to commit the murders of seven? Um, uh, so one of us went to CCD. <laughs> All right, here we go. Yeah. Sloth. Yes. Greed. Yes. Pride. Yes. Lust. Yes. Gluttony. Yes. It's literally the last two of the movie. It's not... Is it jealousy? It's like jealousy. It's what like it? jealousy. It's um coveting. It's um covetousness. Shit. Oh boy, I really blank you in your life. Envy, thank yes. you. And wrath. Wrath. Good one. Nice. Good job. I could never name those. It's the it's it's very similar. I know seven's a weird number. So there's this concept in uh, the way our brains work of, of grouping and how we can handle things of certain sizes and amounts and before we start breaking them down into smaller amounts. Like you think of three, you see three things. You think of five, you might see five things or you might see three and two or you might see four and one. When you get a phone number, Why, that's three numbers and four numbers. You don't see just a string of seven numbers. In the same way, it's hard to just list off a string of seven attributes. Same way it's hard to name all seven dwarfs. Every time there's like one that's just, and it's a different one every time. Sleepy. Uh Uh-huh. Bashful. Uh Uh-huh. Dopey. Uh Uh-huh. Grumpy. Yep. Doc. Yep. Did I say bashful? Yes. I can think of- Happy. Yeah. And one more. I said sleepy. Yes. I said dopey. See what I mean? There's always one. Seven things is just too much to group together. Do you know what the seventh one is? Sneezy. Oh, God. (laughs) See? It has nothing to do with you not being a fan of the movie. <laughs> has everything to do with grouping seven things together is too difficult for our brains. Anyway, that was a little uh, brain lesson for you in between movies. <laughs> Moving on, our next movie is 1998's Urban Legend. Right in the thick of Scream Fever. Where every movie had to be like Scream, where Scream was about tropes of horror cinema. Urban Legend was the same premise, but about urban legends. 
directed by Jamie Blanks, written by Silvio Horta, and starring Jared Leto, Alicia Witt, Rebecca Gayhart, and Joshua Jackson. Kelsey, what is Urban Legend about? A group of college kids are picked off one by one by a hooded killer in the form of urban legends. Yep. Yep, you can see why we put these two together. (laughs) And a killer in a big coat (laughs) perpetuating urban legends. I don't think we even talked about the fact that he wears a big coat. Ah, coat's so dope! It's like this fur-lined coat. It's It's purple. It's It's very much like a pimp coat. It is so good! (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I also love how enormous his arms are when you, whenever you he see has to have the hook his hands. hook. Yeah. Like, it looks like his arm is just just like a yeah. giant's toe. You <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> Yeah, he looks like any other actor who have to look like they have a stump arm, but they don't actually, before the advent of really good CGI, like what's used with Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan? Yes. <laughs> Should people watch the movie, Kelsey? If you, if you like slashers, it's a must-see. If you like late 90s slashers... If you like all the Scream wannabes, like I know what you did last summer. Yes. It falls in there. Late 90s slashers. Yes. Because it's not early 90s slashers, which are bad. (laughs) Well, Candyman was an early 90s slasher. I would not call Candyman a slasher. Okay, fair enough. He kills a dog and a chick. And that's it. That does not qualify as a slasher. Uh, he kills 25 other people. Isn't the idea that most of those were killed by the drug dealer? Not necessarily, but... Yeah, anyway. So, should people watch it? Yes, you said. If you like slashers, yes. Um, is it, it a silly... Late 90s yes. movie? Yes. yes. It is. Oh my God, yes. It is so by the numbers and exactly what you're thinking is going to happen, happens. But it's cool because it's urban legends. That's its little spin That's on its things. Yeah. And. If you've seen it before. I love these actors. Yeah. Jared so, Leto. I fucking love Joshua Jackson. Oh, I had a huge crush God. on Joshua Jackson. I don't want to wait. And, uh, yeah, Jared Leto, who I always forget is in this movie. Yeah, totally, because this is before he got all serious. Gayhart, who I know from Jawbreaker, which I love. Yeah. I enjoy this movie. Robert Englund has a cameo. Not even a cameo, just a minor role. Minor role. Yeah. Robert Englund. Who I said in our episode on Wishmaster should be in more horror movies. He is in this one. And And the other male friend. The one with the dog. He uh, He's in something, too. I knew him, too. Oh, yeah. He is top of my head. He's Lex Luthor from Smallville. Well, he's also something else that I know him from. And Tara Reid. 
Oh, God, Tara Reed. Forgot to say Tara Reed. Tara Reed. Okay, so there was a time when Tara Reed was a lot. She was like <laughs> everywhere. This is before then. This is before American Pie. American Pie is 99. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, like, that was around the time where she was, like, really big. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering, like, God, what happened to Tara Reid? Watching movies like Sharknado and stuff like that. Aww. Nothing happened to Tara Reid. She's always been bad. Now, a lot of things happened in her personal life. Right. But I mean, <laughs> I mean acting-wise. I'm yes. not talking about, yes. A lot of things happened to her in her personal life. But acting-wise, she's always been a bad actress. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Michael Rosenbaum played Lex Luthor in Smallville. Like somebody's best friend and he's an idiot. Sorority Boys. That might be it. He's in Sorority Boys. Oh, God. After all that, if you still want to see this movie, if you haven't seen it before, you should see it. It is. It's Sorority Boys. Okay. I didn't remember it. it. Yes. Okay. okay. Good, good, good. Mm -hmm. All right. So after all of that, (laughs) decide to see it or not. You can decide to see it. We recommend if you haven't seen it before, go ahead and watch it. It is definitely like a snapshot of its time. Very much so. And worth watching at least once. If you've seen it before and you're not like eager to watch it again for nostalgia's sake, don't bother. You can take that advice or leave it. And when we come back, we will talk about 1998's Urban Legend. Welcome to Pendleton U, where the most popular class is urban legends. Something you've heard about mixing pop rocks and soda? Supposedly your stomach burst. But this semester... Voila! Still alive. The lessons are going too far. Call 911! From the producer of I Know What You Did Last Summer... Someone's taking all these urban legends and making them reality. Urban legend. Bloody Mary. Radar opens everywhere Friday. Kelsey. Yes. What happens in Urban Legend? Get us started, won't you? So we open on a college girl riding in her car. She is listening to... A total eclipse of the heart. It's total eclipse of the heart is what it is. So she is driving. She runs out of gas. She stops at a gas station and the gas attendant... Is Chucky. Yes. <laughs> the voice of Chucky. Why can't I think of his name? It's really fucking bothering me. Also, the guy no, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, he played the young dude in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif is his name. Brad Dorif, and he has a stutter. Which is why he can't just get out. There's someone in the back seat. Yes, so he goes to put gas in there, and he very visibly looks in the back seat of the car And he tries to warn her. He gets her to go into the gas station, telling her that her card won't work. And he's trying to tell her, but he just can't get it out. And she is afraid of him. And so she pepper sprays him in the face and then drives off. Only to then be hacked up to death by the murderer in the back. Which is a famous urban legend. Yes. I wrote down every reference to an urban legend in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I got to 21. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I know enough urban legends is the problem. I've heard of this one. Yeah, this is number one. There's somebody in the back seat. I can still remember the first time I heard this urban legend. Do you want to know who told it to me? 
Was it Jesse? Nope. <laughs> Who was it? It was Kelly. Oh, okay. So Kelly told me this urban legend. Always look in your back seat, you know? Yeah, and when she first started telling me, she was like, oh my God, did you hear about this girl? She told it like it was a real true story. I'm very proud of Kelly for this. Uh-huh. Did you hear about this girl who was driving and she had pulled over to the gas station and the guy working at the gas station told her to come inside because there was something wrong with her card. Do you know what my first reaction was? Nope. It was, oh, I'm going to guess that he killed her when he took her inside, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And she was like, what? No! <laughs> she was annoyed that like I had like stopped her in the middle of the, st- middle of the story. But it's just funny because if I were in that situation, that's exactly what I would think. I would be... Like, what's up with this dude? But then you find out, oh no, they were in the car the whole time. <laughs> Someone's in the back seat! It's like the babysitter with the phone call. Yeah. They're in the house. Well, th- that's on there. Yes. Anyway, then we go to a college class where Robert Englund is teaching. Yeah. And he's teaching all about urban legends, which, if you were listening before, Candyman has the exact same scene. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, who's heard this before, hmm? Well, that really happened to a girl in my hometown. Oh, yes. I'm sure it did. I'm... I'm sure most of you grew up thinking that this happened to girls in in all your hometowns, but it didn't. You see, the babysitter and the man upstairs is what we call an urban legend. Contemporary folklore passed on as a true story. Now, there are variations of this one going back to the 1960s, all of them containing The same cultural admonition. Young women, mind your children or harm will come your way. What story are they talking about? Oh, is he talking about the girl who gets killed in the car? Is is that the story he's telling them? The call is coming from inside the house. Oh, okay. So the babysitter. So yeah, at at this point, (laughs) at this point, here's what I have. Number one, uh, someone in the back seat. Actual murder in the movie. Uh, Replacing birth control with baby aspirin. Oh, yeah, that is a phone call on Tara Reed's late night radio uh, station, which is what the other girl, the girl was listening to before she put on Clips of the Heart. Yeah. Uh, Teacher knocking on doors and killing whoever answers. So up to this point, we have someone in the back seat replacing birth control with baby aspirin. Uh, somebody knocking on doors and killing whoever answers. Bloody Mary. The call is coming from inside the house. And the one everyone knows this movie for, Pop Rocks and Soda. Where Joshua Jackson pretends to die. <laughs> By the way, they send somebody to go call the police, call 911, and they never get in contact with that guy again. <laughs> that guy is outside the classroom, doesn't know it's a practical joke, and it's called 911. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually went out to make the phone call. No, they, like, okay, here's what you do. In an emergency, you look at a specific person, you point to that person, and you say, you, call 911. Don't just ask somebody to call 911, because nobody will do it. (laughs) But that one person, that happened in the movie, pointed somebody, told somebody to call 911, you see them run away. Oh, well. Yeah. Did you ever hear the Pop Rocks and Soda thing? Yes. Growing up? 
Yeah. Did you try it? I actually never liked Pop Rocks. Really? I think they're gross. They are a little gross. And but they're, they're fun. they're weird, and I don't like them. They're fun. They fizzle <laughs> in your mouth. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I never believed it. I just was like, I don't like Pop Rocks. Yeah. No, thank you. Have you ever tried it? Yeah. It, okay, so imagine what it'd be like to have soda in your mouth and Pop Rocks in your mouth. Now put those together. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. You are right. Before we get to the lesson, we get to meet all of our main characters. Yeah. Which means that we get to meet Gayheart. Rebecca Gayheart. Who we know from... Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker, etc. Uh, we get to see Jared Leto. Uh-huh. I'm not positive. I think this is before Requiem. I was wondering if this is older than American Psycho. Oh. No, I think this is the same year, which is funny because... No, he plays- American Psycho is 2000. Oh, okay. Damn. Uh, this is also, I think, after Prefontaine. Oh, God. Prefontaine with his fucking mustache. <laughs> 97. Yeah, this is the year before. Uh, Prefontaine is the year before. Ugh. Uh, we also get the dude from Sorority Chicks, and I don't know, I don't think Tara Reed is in this scene. No, she's on the radio. Oh. Well, where did she get this stuff? That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, we figure out pretty quickly that Gayheart has a, f- has a crush on Jared Leto, but Jared Leto is very obviously into the main girl, who, funny enough, I don't think we know her from anything. Alicia Witt. Plays Natalie Simon, and she's famous for being in 88 Minutes and Dune. I've never seen Dune. And Two Weeks Notice. I don't know what that is. Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant, Two Weeks Notice. No? Nope. (laughs) Yeah, and then there's this weird thing where they do the Bloody Mary sequence, but they do it in front of, like, an abandoned house. Right. Not in front of a mirror, just kind of out in the open there. It's so weird. To summon the dead, and Joshua Jackson shows up and scares them? Well, it's supposed to be where the teacher back in the 70s killed all those people, and so that dorm building is completely condemned and shut down. What does that have to do with Bloody Mary? I don't know. It's just they're they're throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. (laughs) Like I said, there are 21 references to urban legends in this. So Joshua Jackson shows up and scares the girls. Uh, Joshua Jackson kind of plays a dick in this movie, which really upsets me because I had a huge crush on him. Well, he he was a dick in Dawson's Creek. How dare you? <laughs> Look, I didn't want him to end up with Pacey either, okay? Or is that his He name? is Pacey. <laughs> I didn't want him to end up with... Joey. Yeah, there you either. go. Either. <laughs> I wanted Joey and Dawson to, to end up together. But look, look, TV show producers don't give a shit about its fans, okay? Because <laughs> you represent all of the fans. I do. <laughs> D Creek. It, oh my God, please tell me you called it that. I always call it D Creek. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> D Creek. Shut up. Oh, God. Uh, There's even a reference to Dawson's Creek. 
Uh, when he takes her out and... He tells her this bullshit story about his dead girlfriend yeah. to try and get her to get laid, and but, she gets pissed. But when he turns on his car, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for to be over. <laughs> By Paula Cole starts playing, which for all you youngins out there is the theme song to Dawson's Creek. It's like, oh, I hate that song, is what he says. Which, this is, like, the year it came out, so, like, I don't get... Ugh, God, it's so dumb. You are so right. It is the year that da Dawson's Creek came out in 98. Jesus. I was in high school. I was 11. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> D-Creek. Oh, God. I actually didn't watch it when it was on. I watched it when I got older on Netflix. Meanwhile, out of all of them, out of all of them on the show, would you think that Michelle Williams would be the most famous? But she is. Not to say that the others aren't still famous. Well, Katie Holmes disappeared after she divorced from Tom Cruise, and James Vanderbeek basically plays himself in everything. <laughs> That's true. Joshua Jackson was on a TV show that a lot of people really fucking love that goes along the... Uh, the Comic-Con scene, in so, what I mean by that is people are fanatics about this show, but 90% of the country has no idea what it is and has never seen an episode. Kind of like that stupid space show that you love so much. Stupid space show? That's right. I said it. Firefly, you mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hate westerns so stupid no i mean fringe it has a hundred episodes <laughs> anyway can we please get on topic <laughs> okay so there's also a reference to yeah baby yeah austin powers austin powers they make all kinds of references that super date this movie like, this movie is super dated. And I forget why. Like, it's when... Well, the whole reason is it exists is it's trying to cash in <laughs> on the new horror zeitgeist created by Scream. And it, it's like, oh, we're going to go with what's popular right now. So we need to be filled with nothing but what's popular right now. <laughs> with no eye for any sort of evergreen quality. <laughs> okay, so after the, the lesson, after we've met all our characters... They find out that this girl that went to the same college as them died in the horrific way that she died. And Tara Reed is like, oh, my God, I heard that she was listening to my show right before she died. My voice was the last thing she heard. Can you imagine? No, <laughs> I can't, Tarine. I don't know what I would do. And then Joshua Jackson makes a really gross joke, and he's like, damn, that girl gave great head. Like, Jesus Christ, this girl died. How fucked up is that? Also, Gayheart is asking everyone if they knew her, and everybody says no. But that's going to come up later. Right. So we get to meet the main girl's roommate, who is blasting Nine Inch Nails in their room while she's having sex as she's a goth girl. And these two are very obviously not on friendly terms. She turns on the light and the girl yells at her for turning on the light. And then she has to get into bed and, like, put her headphones in. And I'm just like, dude, you always needed to have a set 
like schedule with your roommate. If you're right. gonna have sex, you should have told them. Before. Or you know, sock on the doorknob. You don't get get to be mad just because they happen to come home. Yeah. Do you, do you recognize who the roommate was? Yes, I do know who she is. She is. Her name is Tosh. I know her better from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. She's the tomboy sister. Yeah. But she's also in the Halloween franchise. Right. She's the the living relative of Michael Myers. Yes. And a lot of people hate those movies, but I suggest that you rewatch them because the scenes where he is coming after her and she's a little girl are intense. We also talk about her when we go over the Halloween remake. Is she in it? Yeah, she's one of the friends. She's the one that we see topless. Oh. Mm-hmm. Poor girl. She's also the daughter in The Last Boy Scout. Never seen it. You don't need to. <laughs> but she doesn't look anything like that. Like, I just happened to be looking up the people in this movie, and I saw uh-huh. that. I was like, holy crap. When you think about it, you can see it, but she wears a lot of, you know, makeup, and she's got the dark, short hair, so she doesn't really look like herself. Yeah. Joshua Jackson convinces the main girl to go on a drive with him because he's going to try to talk to her about her problems. But in reality, he's just trying to get laid. Well, this is when we get another urban legend. Yes, the scraping sound uh, on the roof, thought to be a killer, is actually the feet of the boyfriend, in quotes, who's being hung from the tree above them. Mm -hmm. Um, That old urban legend actually is recreated. He gets... Mad that she's not giving it up. She gets mad that he's trying to to hit on her and he's lying. And and so she makes him take him ho- take her home. And he's like, fine, but I got to take a piss first. And so he goes. And then the killer wearing. It's like a parka. A parka, I guess. Parka is a great term, I think. Parka. Uh, I just know because it has always reminded me. Which is funny because if you were to actually look at the two of them next to each other, you'd be like, they don't look anything alike. But always it has reminded me of the parkas that my water polo team at high school had. Shut up. I'm going to talk about that later. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll bring it up later, but that's crazy. Okay. Anyway, she's freaking out. She thinks it's the killer who she's actually seen outside the car. And we hear Joshua Jackson struggling, saying, like, don't move the car. And she does anyway, hanging because him. The, the killer jumps on the car to get her to drive. Yeah. Because uh-huh. at first it seems like she's not going to drive because she doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. Then the killer gets on the hood and then she drives away. Yeah. Which is what brings uh, Joshua to so, his death. Not only is he no longer supported by the car which hangs him, but the rope that he's hanging from is actually tied to the back uh, bumper of the car. And so when she drives away, it yanks him up. And then when the dude jumps on the car and she tries to get away from him, so she goes in reverse, and then that drops Joshua Jackson on the windshield. She's freaking out. And then she runs away and nobody believes her. Yeah. Also... If you've seen the cover for The Thing. Yeah, it's a parka like that. that, yeah, the hood uh, of the jacket that the killer wears is basically the cover of The Thing. Yeah. But yeah, so she goes and she tells all her friends what happened. And the dude from Sorority Chicks, or Sorority Boys. Uh, yeah, Sorority Boys, that's what it is. <laughs> 
tells her he probably just set the whole thing up because he's way into urban legends. He's taken like Robert England's class like more than once. Yeah. And and when she's like, well, then why isn't he here? Everyone's like, didn't you remember? He said he was going on a snowboarding trip. So very, he has very yeah. convenient, uh-huh, very convenient. So Natalie does this thing where she has a conversation where she's talking about how people are dying. And she's like, don't you realize that they're all dying? Like the killer is recreating urban legends. What are you trying to say, Natalie? It's like someone out there is taking all these stories and making them reality. Like, is it really necessary for you to spell that out in the script? We get it, movie. We understand what the premise is. I think it's that she's trying to explain it to them, and Jared Leto is the one that's like, that's a stretch. And I'm like, dude, if I was going to be a serial killer, I'd do something cool as shit (laughs) like this. Remember that she said that, people. (laughs) Same with Seven. Like, if you're going to do it, you should have a theme. Go all out. (laughs) Anyway, so she wants to, to look it up. And so she gets, she goes to the uh, the library and finds a book on urban legends. And these books are real, actually. So there are multiple books about urban legends and the history of them and what they mean for our society and all of that. And while there, they find, or not there, but sometime soon after that, they run into this creepy custodian who says, talk to Wexler. Yeah, the weird janitor played by Julian Richings. Who we who, know. Yeah, y- you'll know him from a couple of things. Um, you basically, you've seen him and you recognize him. And he's in tons and tons and tons and tons. He has 192 credits. Okay, so I'm not going to make you go through and figure out what we know him from. He's the guy who starts out uh, Cube. Okay. You'll see yes. him on the cover of Cube. That's true. That's not what I know him from, but yes. I know what it is. I haven't seen it here yet, but uh he's deaf. I see that. So he's in five episodes of Supernatural as Death. Yes. That's still not it though. What do I Percy know? Jackson, the lightning thief. Didn't you watch that for school? Who's he in that? The ferryman. Uh, I mean, sure, but I don't remember it. You know this guy. He's been in so many things. He's just got, he's got like a long nose, so he usually plays kind of a creepy character. And he's in the newest season of Channel Zero, which we haven't seen. I know. We really need to watch that. I know. So he tells them to go and talk to Wexler, because they are very interested in the, um... They're very interested in learning about the guy who went around and killed a bunch of people... And they can't find the yearbook for 1973, which is the year that it happened. So they go to talk to Wexler, but he's not there. They go into his little room, and what do they find? They find the coat that the killer was wearing, and they find an axe. And there he is. He is actually in the room behind a door, ready to pop out and scare them. Okay, so back before the Wexler stuff and the janitor, that night... Natalie goes back to her dorm room, and we know that the roommate Tosh is being strangled. Uh, But Natalie doesn't, because she learned her lesson and didn't turn on the light. Uh, And 
goes to bed. And when she wakes up in the morning, she finds Tosh dead in the bed. And then written on the wall in blood is, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Which is super fucking creepy as far as urban legends go. It is another urban legend, but this is one I am not familiar with. Did you look this up? No, I just know in general the idea of somebody being killed while you're there and you don't know that it's happening. And then when you find out, somebody says, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? To, like, freak you out. Because if you had, you would have died too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, there are a few urban legends between what we talked about in here. Spider eggs and bubblegum. A gerbil in a celebrity's ass. But, like, is that an urban legend? It's not supposed to scare you. It's more of just a lie, isn't it? Urban legends are intended to frighten you. Not necessarily. They can be. They're just urban legends. <laughs> they're legends, but they're urban. <laughs> Uh, Also, the gang high beam initiation, which will come up again later. If you don't know what that is, that's a real urban legend. I mean, all of these are real urban legends, but um, it was a really prominent one where you drive past somebody late at night whose lights are off. If you flash your lights at them, they turn around and follow you and then they kill you. I had never heard of this. It's supposed to be a gang initiation, which is exactly what I told you. And then sure enough, they say as much in the movie mm-hmm. um, where they somebody needs to prove they can join the gang. So they need to kill somebody. And how they decide who to kill is whoever's the first one to flash their high beams at them to tell them to turn on their headlights. Mm-hmm. It's dumb as fuck. Why would a gang be so reckless as to randomly choose their victims and potentially bring down intense scrutiny on them? Why wouldn't they, you know, why wouldn't a gang initiation be, you know, um, a jumping in or uh, robbing a liquor store or killing a rival gang member if it's going to be anything? Why would it just be a rando? It doesn't make any sense. To prove that you've got the guts. I know, but that's the thing. It's just supposed to sound rational to people who would be scared by something like this. <laughs> it's absolutely not a real thing. So now it's out and about. We have the 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 second obvious kill that nobody can deny. And Natalie's really, really freaking out. And we find out why. That's because not only was her roommate just killed, but... The first girl who was killed with the person in the back seat was Michelle, was her old friend. Her best friend in high school. Yeah. And they ended up killing a man by recreating the high beam initiation. Which really doesn't make sense. When you hear their story, it's just kind of like, oh, we flashed our high beams at him a lot because for some reason this girl thought it was funny. And... Then he lost control of the car. No, because the whole point was to get that dude to think they were gang members and coming to kill him. And he didn't know what to do. And he's trying to get away from them. And in the process, he loses control and car crashes and he dies. Still seems a little far-fetched to me. Like, okay, even if he did know about that urban legend, which if it ever happened to me, I wouldn't have had a fucking clue what was happening. But even if he did believe that, okay, so swerve and turn around or something, but like instead he's just driving and he's like, oh, oh, and then all of a sudden car crash. Yeah. uh It doesn't make a lot of sense. I feel you. I feel you. So Wexler... 
was the only person who survived the murders that took place in the hallway of the dorm room in 1973. Yeah. They learn this from the creepy janitor. So they go to talk to him, but he's not there. So they go into their little his little room, and they immediately find the same coat that the killer was wearing. They find an axe, but then out pops Robert Englund, yeah. who was waiting to scare he's them so behind cool. the door. And he tells them, that axe is from a thing I do in class. You know, get out. And sends them to the dean, who gets... Leto kicked off the newspaper. Yes. Which really sucks. No, no, no. You, you can't do that, okay? Read the charter. The dean can't dictate editorial policy. I didn't fire you. Your editor did. We spoke an hour ago. Have a good weekend. And then the dean is killed. <laughs> By getting run bit. over on top of the tire, the severe tire damage things. In a little bit. So... Uh-huh. Our main girl then goes to go and talk to Gayheart, who has now become, like, her best friend, I guess, and she's in the pool. And in walks a person who is wearing the same coat as the killer. And she starts freaking out because she thinks that her friend's about to be killed. Can we talk about how I wrote down, I wrote down here, why would a swimmer be wearing a winter jacket in an indoor pool building like that? And then here you are telling me you were on the polo team, the water polo team. I was on the team. swim team, but you I had a lot of friends who were on the water polo team. Yeah, and there's a parka that looks, that reminds you of this one that the team would wear. Yep. That's nuts. Yeah, um, I mean, our pools are all outside because we're in California. Right. But... No, okay, you know what? No, now I am indignant about it. Why would Why would somebody be wearing that parka inside an indoor pool building and it just happens to look like the one the killer has and she walks along with the hood up along the pool following uh Is Rebecca Gayhart sure, and it's part of the movie and then unzips reaches into the jacket doesn't pull anything out by the way reaches into the jacket like she's going to pull something out and then when our chick bangs on the window and throws a chair at it. Straight out of the graduate. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they all turn around. Rebecca Gayhart looks up and uh, and this person in the parka turns around and she's taking off the jacket. That's what she was doing. And she's just another swimmer. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, what are you doing walking around in that parka? Well, okay. So we have no idea what time of year this is supposed to happen in. It was originally supposed to happen in wintertime. And filming constraints prevented them from doing that. And they didn't want to fake it. Right. But they still left the parka in. Right. And it can still get cold, like, in other parts of the year. It doesn't have to be snowing for it to be cold. Why would they be wearing that jacket? Well, I'm telling you right now. I live in California. And kids on the water polo team would walk around in those jackets because, A, they're big enough that you don't you can just wear your bathing suit underneath. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have any other clothing on, no matter how cold it is. Well, unless you're in you know, snow. But you know what I mean. It can be in the 50s. You can be walking around just in that jacket and your bathing suit, which is exactly yeah, like, what this girl is doing. Totally understand that. When's the last time you've been to an indoor pool? They're hot and humid as fuck. 
You well, would not want to Well, this is also late at night, so they might have all that off. Anyway, stop trying to rationalize this. It doesn't make any sense. It's framed in such a way so as to just scare the audience and the main character. But when it's explained what's actually happening, all the, the entire process wouldn't make any sense anymore. True. I hate it when movies do that. I absolutely hate it. Anyway, this is when she tells Gayheart her true story that she used to be good friends with the girl and that they did the whole high beams thing. And then after that is when the principal guy dies. The dean dies. And he gets his Achilles heel slashed. Yes, I have that written down here too. Is that an urban legend? Yes, someone hiding under your, a car cuts your Achilles tendon. I don't know if falling on the severe tire damage spikes is a thing, uh, but I didn't write it as one. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard of that one where somebody's waiting under your car. Yeah. Which is funny because he checks the back seat of his car. Yes, uh-huh, because he knows what's up. <laughs> uh, then there's the 25th anniversary of the dorm room massacre party. Oh, hold on. Ha ha. What? This is where I wrote down where this story takes place because I saw his license plate. Okay. They're in Maine. And uh-huh. it gets fucking cold in Maine. Uh-huh. So that's why they're wearing the parka. Okay. Then the movie should have done a better job of telling that. It's, the movie's still bad, Kelsey. <laughs> I like this movie. Anyway, where we hear the story about the scream that's on Love Roller Coaster is actually a real recording from a 911 tape of a girl actually getting murdered. You know, those kind of urban legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie. Or like the one with the Wizard of Oz, which we all know is Yeah. Uh huh. Natalie and Paul decide, you know, they, they learn the stuff about Wexler and they decide to go check it out. And while they're gone. Sorority boys guy, Lex Luthor from Smallville. Is having a party. Is, is having this party. Um, well, yeah, that's they're at the party when Natalie and Paul leave. Um, he stays at the party after just totally ripping into Paul, Jared Leto. And he gets a phone call. And it's from Joshua Jackson, which is kind of a modification of the calls coming from inside the house sort of thing. But it, talking about urban legends, and he's like, oh, is this the call coming from inside the house? And then it's like, no, it's about the old lady accidentally killing her dog by putting it in the microwave. Let's see. The call's coming from inside the house. Could it be an urban legend? Am I right? This is the one about the babysitter, right? She's getting those scary, harassing phone calls. She traces them back. They're coming from inside the house, right? But ask why, aren't you forgetting something? I'm not babysitting any kids. Wrong legend. This is the one about the old lady who drives her wet dog in the microwave. Is that an urban legend? I've never heard yeah, that before. Uh-huh. Dries her dog off in the microwave. And just the thing explodes, just like in gremlins and so he goes oh, i was to... thinking of the bunny rabbit yeah what horror movie is that it's not a horror movie it's the well it's the star- single white female no uh the basic instinct <sighs> the one where she's with the guy and they're having like michael douglas and they're having an affair 
Yeah, why can't I think of... Why can't I think of... I mean, Michael Douglas is in Basic Instinct. Yeah. But that's not it. Is that Glenn Close? Yes. Fatal Attraction. Yes. Did you see Fatal Attraction? You wouldn't let me. (laughs) What is that from? Well, I did, and it scared the hell out of me. It scared the hell out of every man in America. (laughs) What is that from? Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. (laughs) They're talking about how she could be anyone. Yeah. (laughs) There is no way that we are going on a plane to meet some woman who could be a crazy, sick lunatic. Didn't you see Fatal Attraction? You wouldn't let me. Well, I saw it. And it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of every man in America. <laughs> scared every man in America. So we also get a variation on the Pop Rocks death in this one where the killer fills his mouth full of Pop Rocks and Drano. Okay. Oh, and also uh, Gayheart walks in on Natalie making out with uh, with Jared Leto. Yeah. She's like, uh-huh. you don't waste any time, do you, Natalie? Because that's a pretty shitty thing to do. Somebody your friend has had a crush on for forever. But you know what? Sometimes he can't fucking help it. He's not into you. Right. Like, that's happened to me before. I kissed a guy. But, like, he kissed me. And then I went and told my friend. And then she was pissed at me for it. And I'm like, he kissed me. And I'm telling you. Like, I didn't do it behind your back. It's just displaced anger. I know. I felt bad, though. But, like, you know, I can't help the fact that he wasn't into you. (laughs) It's very sensitive of you. Anyway, we also... Also, they're ha- listening to Zoot Suit Riot. Oh, God. It's playing in the background at a college party. <laughs> this is so late 90s. It is very dated. Then we get a variation on a somebody's being killed, but everyone thinks it's just an act, where the killer makes it to the radio station and goes after Tara Reed's character. Which she just doesn't get an urban legend. She just gets chased down the hallway. Well, that's the one I'm talking about is the everyone thinks it's just an, a performance, but they're actually getting killed. Oh, OK. And that is used in many horror movies. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I mean, we've already done a couple of them. Trick or treat where the girl yeah. gets killed in the street and everybody's like, it's Halloween. Uh-huh. It's also used in, I think, Freddy versus Jason at the Halloween party. It's used in Interview with the Vampire. Yes. Yeah, so she's getting killed, and Natalie tries to show up because she's worried about her. Can we talk about the fact that Tara Reid is a terrible actress? Yes, we can. And how she's, how her run looks ridiculous and how her screams are ridiculous. Uh-huh. She's, ladies and gentlemen, she's never been good. <laughs> I tried to tell you that. All right, so... Then uh, the killer chases Natalie and tries to kill Natalie, but Natalie gets away and runs into the creepy janitor who has the same exact parka in his truck. That is four parkas that are identical so far. It's Wexler has the parka, the swimmer has the parka, the janitor has the parka, and the killer has the parka. Spoiler alert, the killer is not that swimmer. (laughs) Wexler is found dead in his office. Reese, the security guard woman who's trying to take all this seriously, but nobody takes her seriously, feels like she has to take care of all this on her own. Uh, Meanwhile, the killer comes from the opposite direction down the street. We're dealing with that fucking problem again with the lights off and the janitor flashes the lights at him. And okay, 
Let's deconstruct this scene, shall we? <laughs> They're driving away from the radio station. How is the killer coming back the other direction? Oh, I wrote that as well. Number two. Were they looking specifically for Natalie and where she went? If so, number three, why were they playing the high beam game? Number four, were they counting on whatever car that Natalie got into a car and whatever car they got on would respond to their headlights being off? Number five, is that some kind of indicator that that's the car that Natalie's in? No other car can flash their high beams at them? Why, number six, then does it appear that the killer, while looking for Natalie, decides to play a different murder game with some randos? Why? Why is any of this happening? It's just happening to set up a premise for a scary movie. And when you think about what it would really be happening in an actual scenario, it all falls apart. It is absolutely ridiculous. And this movie is fucking full of that. Just to the teeth. I'm still okay with it. (laughs) Okay. Why is that? I think because it's a product of the late 90s and it's so late 90s, it just reminds me of that age of that year, like when I was that age. But also, I just love slashers. I really love teen slashers. Yeah. I can't help it. Yeah, no, I feel you. It's really, really hokey, but that doesn't mean it's good. And so they get rammed off the road by the other car, and the custodian conveniently just passes out. So now it's just the two. It's the killer and the main girl. And they run in. She she ends up running into uh, Rebecca Gayhart and Jared Leto. And they're all like, hey, let's the three of us go get out of here. And Jared Leto stops at the gas station and goes inside I don't know, to contact somebody or to get gas or whatever. And they smell something and they open up the back seat and they find Wexler's dead body back there. So now they think that it's Leto. Yes. They all get separated in the woods. Oh, that's where the janitor picks her up. So that happens. That's where the janitor comes in. We're piecing this all together here. (laughs) So when she gets out out of the janitor's truck, she makes her way back towards campus and she finds that hall where the murders happened. She hears screaming coming from inside. Sounds like Brenda. She goes inside the building. She discovers a bunch of different murder victims and Brenda lying on the bed. Natalie's freaking out. Oh my God. She's not looking. Brenda sits up and knocks her unconscious. And then yeah, she puts totally the just, parka on. She totally just punches her. It's yeah, really funny. And she says, "I prefer the term eccentric." But she puts the fucking parka on now. To what end? To prove a point? Is Show it cold? Yeah, I know. It's just a visual marker for the audience. But in actuality, it would be stupid for somebody to do that. Ugh. Is she cold? I wrote. <laughs> Maybe it's in Maine and they're in an upper floor of a building. (laughs) Here's where we find out what the premise is, where the villain tells the protagonist all about their plan. That man that they drove off the road way back when was actually her boyfriend. The end. They were going to get married. The end. That's the story. That's all of it. Here's a question. 
Why would you just kill unceremoniously the actual driver who committed the actual act and then proceed to randomly kill off a bunch of people who are completely unrelated in order to torment the passenger of the car? It's only because our protagonist can't be the dick that started that game and got somebody killed. They had to be the unwitting passenger. But now, the whole fucking motive falls apart. Because she would have done the reverse. She would have killed the passenger unceremoniously and then tormented the driver. But we can't have our protagonist being a dickhole and leading to somebody's death. So we have to spin it around and now it doesn't make sense. Leto lives. He shows up. (laughs) She also says at one point... I forget how she's going to kill her. I don't remember. But she calls it her favorite UL. Yeah. It's bad. As if that was going to be like a thing from this movie. Oh, we haven't even talked about Reese, the uh, the security, the security guard, guard who shows up to save her. Uh, there's been a security guard the whole time. Well, yeah, I said that. Her name is Reese. Um, she takes everything seriously, but nobody takes her seriously. Yeah. And she shows up, and there's a kerfuffle. She gets shot. Rebecca Gayhart gets oh, shot. Oh, and Gayhart says before Leto shows up, it's the perfect plan. I'm going to kill everybody and make it look like it was you. And then Jared Leto will get the inside scoop and will become famous, and then he'll be with me because I'll be the only one left. Did you really think I was going to let you take two men out of my hands? Yeah. And that's when Leto shows up and he's like, sounds like a good story. But yeah. no. And he tries to pretend like he's going to go along with it. She doesn't fall for it. She says, you're not that cute. And we would be so fucking hot together, Paul. And I'd be very grateful. So why don't you give me the gun? I'll take care of the rest. You're cute, Paul. But you're not that fucking cute. When she's gonna shoot one of them, Reese shoots her. Natalie grabs her gun and shoots Gayhart, who flies out of the window and lands onto the ground. And a la Halloween, is never found. How do we know she's never found? (laughs) The ending is stupid. (laughs) Because... Paul and Natalie get into a car and leave the fucking scene for no good goddamn reason, except so we can have a cool scene in the movie where she pops up again out of the back seat. What? (laughs) Then they're on a bridge. He crashes into the side of the bridge. She goes flying out the front seat because she wasn't wearing her seatbelt and then lands in the river and then... They also, again, never find her body. For another stupid ending. Yes. We get so many endings here. Then it's it's revealed that this whole thing is a story being told by somebody at a different college. And and somebody calls them out on it. Is like, "Uh, that's not how the story goes. This is how the story goes. And it's Rebecca Gayhart. And... She's wearing a ribbon around her neck, just like that old urban legend. You untie the ribbon around the girl's neck and her head falls off. 
I guess. You didn't tell it right. I didn't. <laughs> Not at all. Okay, listen up, guys. Because this is how the story really goes. What's her motive supposed to be the second time around? They're hinting that she's going to kill these people now. I think she's just gone insane. I guess I think she is actually the killer in Urban Legends, whatever the subtitle is. I don't know, but I love that movie. Urban Legends? I think it's the even sequel? worse than this one. Are we ever going to watch that one, do you think? Probably. Okay. Lightning around, Kelsey. So the chick who is stalked in the beginning is such a bitch we don't even care that she dies. She's the one that uh, helped that dude die. But then also, she calls the gas station attendant a freak show. Right, yeah, I know. She's totally unsympathetic. There was one urban legend I didn't get a chance to mention, and that's the kidney heist. Oh, that's what she's going to do yeah. to the main girl. That's yeah. what she says her favorite UL is. God. This is a contemporary movie, just barely. Where they can't use the phone because someone is online. Yes, that does Oh happen. my god, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, we never had that, but... What? I don't think we ever had dial-up. My dad says we did, but I don't remember that at all. Maybe you were too young to actually use it. I don't know. Because, folks, dial-up would use your phone line and you were literally getting all that information via your phone line and so if anybody picked up a phone on that same line in the house they would just hear the sounds of the modems communicating and in some cases it would kick you off the internet when you were on and it was so fucking frustrating and it's this little window where like millennials which i am and you are I am just barely, I am on the upper edge of, a, of the millennial age bracket, where what makes millennials so unique is that for the most part, they were born in an era without the internet, and they grew up as the internet was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so there are experiences that are unique to millennials that no other generation has growing up, and it's insanely unique. Things that like the growing pains of the internet, basically. <laughs> Things like dial-up, where nobody before and nobody afterwards will have any idea what that is. <laughs> I just think that that's really interesting that here it is enshrined for all time in a horror movie. Well, it's funny because as far as I remember, we never had that, right? And so I was bummed because in the movies, it was always the... Yeah, that's dial-up. Yeah. As far as I know, we never had that. So then Jesse had it in middle school, and I remember I was all excited because I got to hear them for the first Uh time, and then I realized, oh, this is way slower. (laughs) Yeah. Also, Joshua Jackson is an asshole. In the scene where he's trying to, you know, get her to have sex with him, he's like, you don't have to act like such a bitch. Because she says no. No, he is absolutely awful. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about another awful boyfriend when we get to our movie next week. They also have roll-up windows on their on their cars. Yup. <laughs> I remember those. Uh-huh. At the end of the movie, the dude that's recounting the story, that's telling this whole story, they joke about whether or not it could be real. And one person says, oh, yeah, and I, I bet Brenda 
was the girl from the Noxzema commercials, which, yes, Rebecca Gayhart was in Noxzema commercials. Did you realize that they just left the <laughs> security yeah, guard uh-huh. there? Just fuck it. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh my god, did you notice how terrible the clothing was on the last group of kids at the very end? Yeah, uh-huh. They're trying to make them look distinct or whatever. Like, and yeah. Slightly in the future, I uh-huh. guess. Yeah, oh, it's, it's so really awful. bad. What would what would I mean? Imagine being back in 1998 and trying to imagine what fashion's going to be in the year 2000. I mean, they aren't too far off, but it it looks really terrible. Uh, and then finally, uh, the the school's Pendleton is the name of the school. I think Pendleton's motto it translates to "the best friend did it." So if you happen to know Latin or you're curious and you look up the, the, the school's motto and translate it, it translates to the best friend did it. So, Kelsey, hmm. what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 63. 20%. <gasps> Only 20% of people that reviewed this movie came away with overall positive thoughts. Well, they suck. Elements of Scream reappear in a vastly inferior vehicle. If we're comparing it to Scream, which came out the year prior, it is way worse. Okay, I'm not saying it's a good movie. <laughs> it's still very enjoyable to watch. Metacritic got a 35 and CinemaScore got a C. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 60. I enjoy it. I enjoy slashers what can i say well this has nothing to do with you enjoying slashers it's it's you finding pleasure in a nostalgic slasher from when you were in middle school (laughs) Uh. also because joshua jackson is in it even though he plays a dick jared leto is in it even though he's now a dick (laughs) yeah i would say i'd say i'd give it a 40 oh and that's because I love I love the premise. Exactly. I just think it's, but it's poorly executed. It's, it's really poorly executed. Come to life. It's really poorly executed. Okay, I'm going. All right, that was 1998's Urban Legend. Kelsey, hmm, what are we watching next week? Next week we are watching Scream. Woohoo! And. Cabin in the Woods. Yes! I had to work really hard to convince Kelsey to pair these two movies up. Because she did a very, very cool thing. I will admit, very cool. She paired Cabin in the Woods up with Evil Dead 2. Which is a great combination. Only so far as Evil Dead 2 is a Cabin in the Woods and really helped establish that subgenre of horror but the story of cabin in the woods is about more than the fact that it's a cabin in the woods it's really a deconstruction of horror movie tropes which scream also is cabin in the woods is a modern reinterpretation of the same things that scream was doing also this is technically another recommendation this came to us from a twitter account called chickapedia look her up yeah uh, she wanted us to do Cabin in the Woods. And Cabin in the Woods was certainly on our list, but it was way down farther 
down. And so I paired it with Evil Dead 2. And then Chris, when he found out we were doing Scream next week, convinced me to pair it with Captain What were we going to do with Scream? Oh, it's some movie that we hadn't heard of. Yes, and I am okay with that. I like seeing movies I've never heard of. Uh, totally, and we absolutely will. But it is October, and we are doing Scream. We are pairing it with another movie that is totally awesome, Cabin in the Woods. And I'm really, really, really excited to talk about those. Especially to talk about whether or not Scream uh, holds up, how it does and how it doesn't. After over 20 years now since it's come out. It falls in the classic category now. It's nuts. All right. Until next week, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com where you can browse all of our episodes and see a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. We're over 100 now. Leave a comment, share your thoughts, recommend a movie or two to cover in a future episode. You can do that on the site or by emailing us at podcemetery at gmail.com or following us on Twitter at podcemetery. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. Everyone knows, second best thing you can do, share us with your friends. First best thing is listening in the first place. We really, really appreciate it. And it means a lot to us. So until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, do you have any parting words to share with the audience? I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things... I am nothing. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, comfort it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman, the Candyman can. Candyman can, Posse mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a sigh? Soak it in the sun and make the strawberry lemon pie. The Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman can. The Candyman can. Cause he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. You talking about Candyman? You spent every day at your job watching that movie over and over again for how long? Almost a year. And you haven't memorized the words to the Candyman? I used to know the whole movie word by word. It's gone. I'm I have disappointed bad in you. I have bad memory. The Candyman man. <laughs> the Candyman man. <laughs> the Candyman can. Because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. All right, Kelsey. Why don't you get us started? How does Candyman... Go. <laughs> uh, Hold on. <laughs> Let me start that over again. They fucking. I can't tell if it's a spider or not. It's not. <laughs> because she thinks it's the killer who she, she actually. Fits a future for her teeth for She is listening to, um, what's it called? Turn around every now and then I get a yeah. little bit tired of this. Listening to the sound of my tears? Yeah, what's That's it called? the second line. What's it called? Um. 
And I need you now tonight. And I need you more than ever. And if you only hold me tight, we'll be holding on forever. Together we can take it to the end of the line. Your love is like a shadow on me all the time. I don't know what to do, always in the dark, living in a powder keg and giving off sparks. I really need you tonight. Forever's gonna start tonight. Forever's gonna start to. Once upon a time, there was light in yes, my life. Yes, what is it called? Now there's only love in the dark. I'm getting to it. Nothing I can do. A total eclipse of the heart. It's total eclipse of the heart is what it is. You should probably take all of this out. Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna. <laughs>